Jesus doesn't just own everything, he earned some things. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. How can we possibly understand that the second person of the Trinity, the maker and possessor of all, was moved to leave his throne and work? Humans have proved over and over that we would rather not work. We're always looking for ways to make other people work for us. And what was it that the Lord earned? What kind of reward is payable to him? Here's Jim with part two of The Son, Superior to Angels. The writer of Hebrews is going to compare and contrast the Son of God, Jesus, and the revelation that comes through him, God's word spoken to us through him, about him, that revelation is superior to the revelation given through the angels. So let me finish out the first quarter of the book, okay? So beginning there in chapter 1 and verse 4, all the way down through chapter 2, verse 18, Jesus is compared and contrasted as the revelation, as the revealer to the angels and their function in the system of God. Then, in chapter 3, verse 1, the writer compares and contrasts Jesus to Moses, the lawgiver, the respected leader who received the law, built the tabernacle at Mount Sinai, led the people out of Egypt, that Moses. And we're going to learn there that Jesus, the Son of God, is infinitely superior to Moses, both in terms of the quality of what he revealed, its significance. Moses was no, no, small, no small prophet, very significant prophet. But compared to Jesus, the things that he said, dim. And then right there at chapter 3, verse 7, all the way down through chapter 4, verse 13, the writer's going to compare Jesus with Joshua. Joshua was the young man who took over when Moses died, led the people into the land of Canaan, fought the wars, settled the people, gave them their lots by inheritance, and then he passed off the scene. Very significant leader. And Jesus, and what he accomplished, and Jesus and his revelation will be compared and contrasted with Joshua. Then, in chapter 4, beginning at verse 14, all the way to chapter 8, verse 6, Jesus is going to be compared with Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother, remember? And he was the first high priest to perform that function of high priest in the tabernacle with the sacrifices and offerings and all the various functions and all of the truth, all of the things that the high priest and his ministry symbolized. So there you have it. So for the first, uh, the first eight chapters of this book, the writer compares and contrasts Jesus as the speaker, Jesus as the message, Jesus as the fulfiller, Jesus as the revealer. Compares them to the other Old Testament prophets, to the angels, to Moses, Joshua, Aaron. 
Then the next third of the book, he's going to take the things that Jesus accomplished, what Jesus did. And he's going to compare and contrast those with the Old Testament covenant, largely in the sacrifices, in the temple tabernacle, in the high priest and his function. And he's going to show that Jesus' revelation and his accomplishments infinitely superior to the whole Old Testament. And then, beginning in chapter 11, the last third, he's going to show that the key for us is to become people of faith, not people of works. He's going to show how people did some incredible works, some incredible things, but they did them because they believed God's revelation. They acted upon God's revelation, not upon what the newspaper editors were writing, not upon their gut instincts, not upon what their neighbors thought, not upon the government systems in which they were living. All of those were secondary. And that list of heroes in Hebrews chapter 11 ends in chapter 12 reminding us that Jesus was a man of great faith. Great faith. And in the last two chapters, 12 and 13, we'll see practical applications of that. Come back with me, please, to the subject of angels. You remember that at Mount Sinai, God told Moses to go down that the people had prostituted themselves. Remember that? The gold cap. And God said, Moses, I'm going to wipe them out. I'll start over with you. Remember what Moses said? Oh, no, 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 God, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. So God said, okay. Okay, I'll spare them. I'll spare them, but I'll go with you and with the people from here on in the form of an angel, the angel of God. In other words, God would not be able to meet immediately, directly with the people. He would be with them in the presence of an angelic form. You see, the people were sinful. And if God had showed up, they'd all be struck dead. They'd all die on the spot. God's righteousness, his holiness cannot, cannot abide with sin. And so God had to take a mediator form, a form of mediation, a stepper in between. So, Moses was a step between God and man. Aaron, the priesthood, the high priest, was a step between God and man, their condition in God, their condition in God's righteousness. And the angel became an active participant in all of those redemptive features concerning the Exodus, etc. Angels often appeared in the Old Testament. And so the writer wants to make sure that we understand that what God did in his son, through his son, and the revelation that his son gave us, is superior to that. It's superior, first of all, as verse tells us, it's superior, first of all, because he, the son, 
became higher in rank. Now, if you mark in your Bible, circle the word became. We'll come back to that in just a second. He became higher in rank than the angels. That is, in his position in relationship to God, the Son is by his position higher in rank than the angels. And he's going to quote verses in just a minute to show you that. Secondly, he's superior to the angels just as the name he inherited, circle that word inherited, just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. What's their name? Michael. I can't remember the rest of them. Gabriel. Gabriel. Yeah, they got names like that. What's the name that God the Son inherited? Wherefore God has also given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of, say it, Jesus. Jesus. That name signifies the one who will inherit all things. All things. We'll see more about that also in just a minute. So there's two counts where the angels are inferior to Jesus. But in both of those counts, he became in rank higher. That's not a denial of his deity, but it's saying that in the fulfillment of his mission and the accomplishment of his work, what he came to do required a subordination of himself to become just human. And that's what chapter 2 is going to talk about. And when he became human, he became lower than the angels. He took a position in his incarnation of humanity, human, just like us, without sin. And that meant that he, for that period of his time, was lower than the angels. He did that purposefully. And because he was willing to do that, and because of what he accomplished while he did that, he gains an inheritance that includes the angels. And that's what the writer wants us to see. Look at, the, look at verse, um, verse 13. Now to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? No angels ever had that promise from God. That's a promise that Jesus, listen, he earned. We'll talk about how he earned it in just a minute. He earned that. It's an inheritance. It's something he earned. He didn't just get it because he was God. He earned it, and we'll see how in just a moment. But look at that promise, set at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Everyone who resists the Son of God is his enemy. And they are all, all his enemies, fallen angels, fallen man, all are going to be made his footstool. What's the footstool? In ancient Egypt, they would make a place where the Pharaoh would put his feet, and they would carve into that footstool 
images of other kings, other empires, other warriors who had contested Pharaoh and been beat up. That's what the picture is. Every enemy of God the Son will be subjugated. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. That includes demons. That includes humans. We'll see that in just a moment. Now that's, that's concerning the Son. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And that's what Jesus is doing tonight. He's sitting at the Father's right hand. The Father is busy unpacking those events in our world that will ultimately lead to the total destruction of all of Jesus' enemies. All of them. Now, concerning the angels, verse 14, they are all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation. Ponder that. The hosts of angels have one assignment from heaven. You minister to those who are going to inherit, going to inherit salvation. You serve them. You protect them. You minister to them. There are angels who have been busy ministering to me today and to you. That's not, that's not folklore. That's not, that's not fairy tale for children. That's biblical truth. But notice, they are servants. They are servants. They are not sons. They are servants not sons. And their job, their assignment from God, is to minister to those who are going to inherit salvation. Who are those that are going to inherit salvation? That's all of those who receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and through him, and because of what he did, we become sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And as sons of God, we're going to inherit this salvation. When the writer says that, he suddenly stops and he thinks, that's incredible. That's unbelievable. Now he wants to make sure we don't get confused. So he says, we must therefore pay even more. We must pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding in every transgression, and disobedience received a just punishment, and it did, it did. The angels were vested with authority, and some of the most severe judgments of the Old Testament were connected to angelic authority. So there was teeth in the truth that the angels we're propagating teeth. If that was true for angels, how much more, the writer says, should we pay attention, should we, should, should we listen, should we not neglect 
so great salvation, the salvation that was first spoken by the Lord. So you have the contrast here between the angels and their administration of the covenants and promises of God, and you have the Son of God, who is the mediator of God's final word. The angels had real authority. The Son has superb authority. But when it comes to the contrast, notice, the angels couldn't save anybody. They were all about judgment. They were all about enforcing the standards of God and dealing with those who were disobedient. But when it comes to the Son, the author says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The Son came to be our Savior. No angel ever came to be our Savior. No angel ever saved anyone. They're servants, powerful, old, wise. Oh, yeah. But they couldn't save us. So we shouldn't neglect this one to whom God spoke and through whom God spoke and about whom God spoke, who is called his son. Because through him comes this so great salvation. Notice verse 4. When the son spoke, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles, distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to to his word. That is, God reinforced the ministry of his son through signs and miracles and wonders. And that's what the Gospels tell us. The Bible says John was a powerful preacher, but John worked no miracle. The book of Acts also tells us that those who were eyewitnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ, who sat under his immediate teaching, as they went out sharing what Jesus has said, Jesus backed them up, and the Father attested to the truth of what they said about Jesus through signs and miracles and wonders. So the so great salvation is the title the author of this book gives to that great plan God has accomplished for us in Jesus, and it's an attested, it's a proven message. It's not something that's secretive or mysterious. There were public miracles and signs and wonders that were, were accomplished to testify, to authenticate that the story, the work, the words of Jesus were to be taken very seriously. They're true. So we have an attested message. Then in verse 5, the writer wraps it up. He says, for he, God, has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. The world to come is that world when all of the inheritance that is Jesus's, he's going to claim. When the name that the Father gave Jesus is going to be exalted. When the promises that the Son made are going to be fulfilled. And it's going to affect our world. It's going to change our world it will ultimately lead to the destruction of our world in fire and smoke and gas and the creation of a whole new heavens and earth. That's part of the plan. And it will be accomplished by the authority of Jesus. 
and by the working of God in fulfilling all that he promised Jesus. Now, the writer understands that the scriptures place Jesus under, in rank, under Jesus. That Jesus is placed under rank beneath angels for a period of time. So he quotes the passage where that takes place. It's one of the Psalms. And you read about it in verse 5. He's talking about that world that is to come. That world where God will fulfill all the promises he's made through Jesus. He says, he is not subjected to angels, the world to come that we are talking about. But one has somewhere testified, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you care for him? And the next phrase says, you made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. Is that last phrase? Everything will be subject, subjected under the feet of this man. Now, what's he talking about? Well, the original purpose of God when he created Adam and gave him Eve was that man would rule over everything. That included the angels. Man defected, chose instead to rebel against God, refused to obey God's word, rejected the invitation of the tree of life, and instead listened to the cunning, deceptive lie of Satan. And in doing so, man lost the authority that God intended man to possess. When God set about to correct that problem, God himself, verse 7, God himself, the second of the Trinity, God the Son, was made lower than the angels for a brief time. That's talking about the incarnation. That's saying that during his earthly life for 33 and a half years, Jesus was in a position under the rank of angels. What Jesus earned was something that Moses and Abraham and even angels like Michael and Gabriel could never win. A name above every name, a position of absolute authority and honor. Not given, I say again, but earned. We're two-thirds of the way through Jim's message, The Sun, Superior to Angels. We'll hear the rest tomorrow. If you'd like to have the talk on CD, we'll send it to you for a gift of $7 or more. Our series, called God's Ultimatum, Volume 1, is available as an album of 19 CDs for your gift of $66 or more. God's people were crowdfunding before crowdfunding was a word. We see it in the Bible, and we've seen it for 55 years here at Right Start. Every day, we're blessed by ordinary folks putting their money where their heart is. If this ministry has value to you, please support it by praying and giving as the Lord leads. Thank you, family. You can give or get in touch on our website, rightstartradio.org. We've got streaming audio for you there, both radio programs and uncut sermons. 
We've got a link to the podcast version of the show on the Apple platform so you can receive Right Start automatically and personally every day. We won't spam you if you connect with us, so please visit rightstartradio.org or mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Or call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. When God became man, strange things happened. More mind-expanding material from Hebrews coming up tomorrow. Please be with us on Friday for the next Right Start. Thank you.